Welcome to the Black Wolf Media Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Evans. This is a show where we dive into the stories of black entrepreneurs and business owners, and we talk about their brands and entrepreneurship journeys. Let's get into this episode. Hey, Jess. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. How you doing? Good. Tell me how to pronounce your first name. It's Adrian. It's like Adrian with an I. Yep. I just want to make sure it was long I. Adrian. Got it. And and also, I want to ask you, um, is Averhart how you say your name? Yes. Okay, cool. You got I it. Want, I wanted to make sure I was saying that right, too. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. You ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. All right, guys. Welcome to the Black Wolf Media Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Evans. I got a special guest. Her name is Jess Averhart. She's the she's an author, speaker, and podcaster. Not only that, guys, she's a three-time award-winning author. She's a fourth-generation entrepreneur and a co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. Jess, how you doing? Tell the people a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, of course, thank you. Exciting! I love this platform. Um, yeah, you you nailed it. I mean, those are the highlights, right? I'm <laughs> a, a fourth-generation entrepreneur. I come from a a real estate background. You know, I'm from a small town in Ohio. About your uh, listeners will be surprised to hear this. I'm from a small town of about 280 people. Wow, small. That's <laughs> small. small. Yeah, it's not even <laughs> a town. Really, it's a village. Um, yeah. I think it's classified as a village. So. You know, it it uh, it was a small community, and my family uh, taught me at a really young age, you know, how to how to make money, but also how to wrap your arms around the needs of a community and and where those and to kind of imagine what those needs might be. And and we focused on real estate when I was younger. Yeah, my family was in. Uh, they they sold real estate. They invested in properties. Um, appraisal. They did real estate appraisal auctioneering. I mean, it was like, you know, whatever the hot thing was, they were, they were there for it. Yeah. And um, I, I took that spirit into my adulthood, but it took me a while, you know, it wasn't, wasn't right away. It was part of a 10 year plan that moved to like a 20 year plan. I had the side hustle for a long time at, while I was moving around in corporate America. I started out in financial as a financial analyst at GE and then went nonprofit and then did sports and entertainment of working with the Bengals, Browns, and the Cavs, uh, you know, the list goes on. But, yeah. you know, towards the end of, of that era of, of working for, um, for folks and learning the ropes in the corporate world, I, I decided during the pandemic to leave my job. I had a six-figure job, and it just felt right to – this was the time to go out on my own. It didn't make any yeah. sense to anybody, but – um, we're, we're growing, we're two years in and I, you know, how people say when they start their own business, they're always like, I wish I would have done it sooner. Uh, that's kind of how I feel. But at the same time, I know that, you know, all roads led to that moment and it was the yeah. right time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, if you don't mind, take us back. You, you said you are a fourth generation uh, entrepreneur. I find that really interesting. Can you talk about that a little bit and, you know, tell us like what it was like growing up around entrepreneurs? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, entrepreneurship, they, you know, a lot of people say entrepreneurship can be very lonely and it, there's a lot of high risk and that's true, but it can also be a, a place of rural community. And that's, that's how I experienced it when I was younger. So 
um, like I said, my family was in the real estate business and they put me to work when I was six years old. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, growing up with an entrepreneurial um, background, my grandfather was, so it was my great grandfather who started a business, who started a company. And then his son, my grandfather took that business over and then my mom and uncles and then me, that's how we get here. That's awesome. Yeah. And, um, at six years old, they had me outside on Saturday mornings running tickets from the auction that would be happening at a, so typically, you know, in a small community, let's just give the listeners some insight here. So in a small community back in the, back in the eighties, if you had your aunt Mabel died, right. And she lived out in the country, aunt Mabel dies and you don't, you have this whole house full of like antiques and furniture and a garage full of tools and all these things. And so the family's like, well, what are we going to do with Aunt Mabel's stuff? And so they would call my family and we would come out. We were professional auctioneers. And we, like I said, we did all the other things too. But they would call my family to take care of Aunt Mabel and her estate and do it with, you know, a lot of respect and dignity. And we would come yeah. out and we would take all of her things out and we would sell them to essentially the community that surrounded her. And so that's how then we would take that proceeds and that would go to Aunt Mabel's family or make sure that her burial was taken care of, et cetera. And so what I, when I say I was running tickets, I was running tickets from my grandpa who was selling Aunt Mabel's lamp back to the trailer where my grandmother was to make sure that, you know, that, that whatever that lamp was, the ticket, you know, made it back to the trailer so that the people could pay for it and off they go. So I started getting paid at six doing that little bit of work. Yeah. And then moved up through the business and um, and then eventually was doing appraisal work and working for my aunt even out and about around the region and learning the real estate ropes. So, yeah, yeah that's what that, it was. Whatever that's you pretty could do. Cool. Yeah, I got two hands and two feet. And they said, go do this at <laughs> yeah. seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's pretty cool. So, you know, at what age, like, did you discover that, you know, you're your your family was you know full of entrepreneurs like when like when did you even really discover the word like was that like a big word going around back then no i no i don't think even i don't even think we ever used it um yeah it's a really good question i hadn't thought about that before um it was it was that my family were were business owners right yeah. that that my grandfather was a businessman that's that's what people would say very respected businessman and um that that's how I saw it. And I knew that we owned our company. Right. And I knew that we also were set apart a little bit because we had more money than most people. Honestly, yeah. it was, I, I could see the, dis, the, the difference between my friends and, and um, you know, their day to day, like what their parents were doing and what we were doing. And I, and I'm going to say the money came with it, but also the work we had, a, they also owned a, a roller rink. I mean, we were hustling, y'all. It yeah. was it was work, um, but the but the reward were there too. Like we vacationed well, and we had margin in our life when we needed it. Yeah. Um, but when it was time to work, we worked real hard. Yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So you know, now let's let's fast forward a little bit. You said you were in. You were also in the corporate world, mm-hmm. and it presented you a lot of opportunity to meet a lot of cool people form a lot of relationships. And then, you know, uh, COVID came around. And so before you, um, before you left your job, like what was it going through your mind? Like, 
at that time? Um, before I left my job, what was going on in my mind was if you don't do this now, you won't do it. Yeah. That's, I, I'm very certain that was what was happening in my head. And I know the feeling of doing a thing, not doing a thing and, um, regretting it. And so I just, I couldn't imagine betraying myself in that moment and that's what pushed me over the edge that's why I had, I had my you know I, was, I had a really nice job I was yeah. making really good money and it was during COVID and so I really wasn't doing much at all uh, truly I mean it was just like I was getting paid to do very little at that time because the world was trying to figure it out and so we were trying to figure it out There's just not a lot going on yeah. and my board chair called me and said you know what this COVID thing is probably going to be over soon. So why don't you just wait and don't quit? Just like hang in there, basically take the paycheck, do the, do as much as you possibly can. But like, why would you quit and give up your salary and benefits right now? Like just hang in there. It'll be over soon. And then you can do it. And I refused to do it. I was like, no, this is my timeline. I decided I was leaving June 30th. I didn't know about this pandemic, but I'm leaving June 30th. Yeah. And it was because I knew that if I didn't, I would, I would get lulled back into the comfort. And I really wanted to, I really wanted to, uh, I really wanted to put my idea and myself to the test. I, yes. I know it sounds a little cliche, but people who are entrepreneurs know what I'm talking about. There's yeah, that moment definitely. where you're like, let's just see what happens. Right. Okay. Um, did you ever, like, when you left your job, you know, your six-figure job, did you ever receive any backlash from people? And if you did, like, how did you handle that? No, I didn't receive any backlash. I think people were surprised. I think it, I think it, because of the timing of the world, yeah. with less of backlash and more like, what the, what is she doing? Yeah. I don't know if we're allowed to curse on here, but that's really what they were thinking. No, you good. <laughs> yeah. I think people okay. were more like, whoa, what is yeah. what's happening? You know, does she, like, does she know something we don't know? Like, what's going right. on? Yeah, it's a little more like that. Yeah, and very supportive, but like very worried for me. That yeah. I think that was more of it. More very worried for me. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So, like, when you were when you like decided to leave your six figure job and you came up with your business idea, like, how did you put that into play? And like, did you like create a business plan? Like, how did that all work out for you? That's a good question. It's it's a, actually something I want to talk more about, um, yeah. you know, in my own, like my own platforms, because I think that it's uh, it's important to understand how to launch something. And um, I think that's where a lot of us get stuck. And luckily I had some things in place. And so that's what I like to talk about. So, so to answer your question, I knew the year before that I was going to leave my job. So the yeah. summer of 2019, I prepared my board six months in advance. So by December of 2019, my board was real clear on my date. Yeah. Um, because I knew and they knew and it wasn't a secret. I started to um, talk through like I, to, to people in my network. Hey, I'm going to be leaving another six months. So it was no surprises. Wasn't underhanded. Wasn't sneaky. Was very intentional, super deliberate. And I was able to reach out to my network and I'm very networked here, like yeah. uh, from research triangle park to Google to you know, I have my hands on a lot of uh, pies and I'm a very 
uh, intentional relationship builder. So for the next six months, I let people know, and I'm without exception, people were saying to me, oh, I think we might have a project for you. Oh, I think we might want, you know, I've got something I'd love for you to consider. Short-term hits. So what I did is I, when I left my job on June 30th, by July 1st, when I turned my business on, I had tripled my income. I had about $350,000 worth of money coming in within six months, within those next six months. And because I had that kind of cash flow, I was able, and I knew it, I was able to take that cash flow and invest it into my business idea. Mm. So I self-funded my business idea by giving myself a year to prepare the, the market for my, my, you know, my, my move from my job into uh, my business, into my entrepreneurship yeah. role. That's awesome. That's really cool. So like, I know, you know, being around entrepreneurs, you were used to that environment. Um, and then you went to the corporate world. Did you ever feel like when the money was coming in, like, did you have moments of like, yo, this is surreal? Like, did you ever feel like, oh my gosh, this is really happening? Or was this something that you you handled well and you were able to just maneuver through and, you know, get going? I think it's a little both. I mean, you, it's, a, it's hard to imagine that somebody would, you know, do a contract with you for four months at $72,000. It's hard yeah. to believe that because that's somebody's full of your salary or more. Right. And so, so for me, you know, you hear about consultants and you hear about these, you know, these windfalls of money or whatever that these pots of money people keep talking about. And I'm like, I don't really know what, I don't even know where those pots are. But once you open up your, when you start to open yourself up to possibility and you start talking about what it is, what value you can add, people are like, and you have a good relationship with folks. They, they say, great, because we have a need. Amazing, wonderful. Please work with us because I think you can help us. And that's when I started to see, you know, I took a chance one time. I didn't know how to price anything. And I asked a friend and we kind of did some multiple multipliers and they said, okay, so that's your number now double it. And I was like, that felt really weird. I didn't want to do it. It felt wrong. Yeah. And I submitted that contract without any changes. No one, they just signed it. I couldn't believe Mm. it. I gotta believe it. So to your point, it was a little of both. I mean, you you walk into that a new space like that where where the levels of money are different and you are surprised, but then you're like, okay, well, I guess this is what it is. So let's go. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And I'm pretty sure like, you know, your mindset like kind of elevates it, like unlocks some, you know, blockages that you may have had. Would you say? Yeah. Your mindset's everything. I mean, I think showing up. For yourself and in a moment is 90% of, of success, just showing up and not let, talking yourself out of the phone call or the follow up or the email or the, you know, bringing positive energy to a conversation, which is half yeah. of it. When people feel like you bring energy to a thing, they want to work with you. If yeah. they sense that you're like arrogant or, or nervous or any of that, they're hesitant to work with you. And so some of it, I, I think a lot of it for me is just People are confident working with me because they just think, well, she must know what the hell she talked about. She sounds like she does. And that is, you know, sometimes all people need. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think I forgot your question because I went on a tangent. But now you good. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, you, yeah, you answered. You good? You good? Okay. Okay. Um, we're gonna transition a little bit. I want to talk about um you being a three time award winning author. Can okay. you talk about that a little bit with for us? Sure. Yeah. So um while the pandemic was rolling, um I partnered with a a good friend of mine who is out on the West Coast. She's the uh, founder of a. What's good, everyone? If you guys are enjoying this show, please be sure to share this with a friend, family member, or coworker and leave a five-star review. Now back to this episode. Peace. If you're a supporter of our podcast, then you'll love our newsletter. Every week, we give you a sneak peek in the upcoming episodes and the guests that we have featured. And we also let you know about exciting live events that we have planned for the future. So if you're looking to stay up to date on everything going on in the world of the Black Wolf Media podcast, be sure to go in the show notes and subscribe to our newsletter today. Men's underwear company called Wood. Yeah. <laughs> and her name is Teresa Zimmerman. And she and I um, were having drinks at a brewery one day and we're talking about our dating lives. And I was just getting off of a plane from Manhattan. And I was like, I think I just got, I think somebody just, I think maybe I'm going on a date. Because I got off the plane and then he gave me his number. It was super casual. It was kind of on the sly. Yeah. And then I said, I'll be back in Manhattan next week. And he was like, yo, well, hit me up and let's go get a drink. And I was like, is that a date? Or is that just <laughs> like, I didn't know, you know? Yeah. And so my girlfriend was like, girl, that's a date. And so we were talking it out. And she goes, we should write a book. I have stories upon stories. And so um, when we left the brewery, she looked, she was headed to the parking lot. She turned around. And she goes, I'm serious about this. Let's write this book. And I said, all right, let's get it on the calendar. And so in the week, we had a date to set up a framework of what our outline would be. We, we collaborated on our stories. And then we, we wrote this book called Oh Lords, Who We Date, Why We Date Them, and What We Learned. Yeah. And um, it hit when it dropped. It was a bestseller, which, you know, isn't surprising anymore. Everybody's stuff is a bestseller. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you just have to be strategic about it. But ours did land at, at number one in a couple of categories. And then what we were mostly interested in is submitting it to see if it was, you know, if people resonated with it. And yeah. we, we, they did. And so we got a lot of, um, you know, what do you call it? Just uh, public, public awards. We got yeah. some literary, we got two literary awards and then people's choice. I couldn't think of the word. And then we got a people's choice award. So um, and that was within the first year. So we were really proud of that, having never written a book before and being new to the publishing industry. It was a, yeah. a pretty good first go. Yeah. And, and like, you know, being that that was your first book, like what was the process like for that? Well, you know, my process is interesting because we had I had a co-author. So I'm writing. I have a couple of I have books that I've written by myself. And yeah. I have one that I'm writing by myself now. And that process is long. It's arduous. You second guess yourself. It takes forever to write. When, yeah. when you are writing with a co-author, um, you have to, the process was interesting because she's a project manager by nature mm, and I'm okay. a creative. And so between the two of us, she project managed my ass to the finish line. Mm. Like if it was up to me, this book would still be, we'd still be writing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so if you're going to do a book, you've got to have deadlines. You have to, you have to have word count, you know, requirements on yourself. 
you have to have a really good structural editor and, um, you know, and you have to have some money because yeah. it's not free to publish unless you, you know, you're with one of the major houses. We did have a publisher, but you still have to, ha- you still have to invest your money, especially when you're first go and people don't know who you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've heard something about like, um, self-publishing and about like, I don't, it, it would you say that, you know, have being, being published with, with like a big company is, is that better than self-publishing? Um, there's, there's ups and there's, uh, upside and downside to both of those. There's yeah. been a lot of people who've self-published and have made a fortune and then get big picked up by the publishing houses and are able to help you distribute and all of that kind of stuff. It's faster. It's easier to publish on your own. Like I just, I came up with a concept to do a, a, a little workbook called reinvention roadmap yeah. over the, during the fall, I like woke up one morning and was like, Oh, this is red. I had trademarked this word and I was like, what am I going to do with it? So I like, well, let me do this 90 day sprint because it's something I would use and whatever. We are my team. I had two designers and a writer and myself. And we wrote this thing in probably like four weeks. And then we published it, self-published it on Amazon. You can go to Amazon right now. It was up within two or three days. Yeah. And that's what people like to talk about is like just throwing your stuff on Amazon. Well, that's great. But it's there and that's wonderful and we're making money off that book, but it's not distributed. You know, yeah. it's, it doesn't have the backing of a distributor, but I didn't need that. I just needed a product. I needed the product to add to my arsenal of tools. Yeah. So it depends on what your motivation is. Gotcha. That's really what it is. And, and, oh, and one more thing I want to say about this, just for people who are business owners who are thinking about this. A lot of times you'll hear people will, will talk about their books as their business card. It's like their pass to be able to talk about um, their consulting work, talk about their coaching work, or to get on a speaker circuit. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I don't have, I don't criticize that at all. I think it's just, a, it's a means to an end. Just don't, just be real realistic about what you're doing. If that's what you're using it for, then, d- then don't shop it to the big houses. Just get it out there. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I just want to say that because it yeah. is all different, right? Yeah, no problem. Um, you said something interesting about like Amazon, like everybody's putting their stuff on Amazon. I'm noticing like it seems like it's a. I, I don't want to say like a a trend, but I'm noticing a lot of people are like writing books and putting it on Amazon KDP, mm-hmm. and like some people are not getting the sales that they thought they would, and some people are doing mm-hmm. excellent. Um, and you know, what would you like say about that? Uh, that that's true. I would would say that I would say you're right. Um, the Amazon KDP is a platform, it's a platform to sell your product, but it is not, it is not designed to sell your product. Like you are, you are required to sell your product and market it. And so you know, the, the, um, the, I'm sorry, the, uh, proceeds, right. From your book sales, the breakdown on that is equally distributed. So what I'm getting on my, on my reinvention roadmap is going to be similar to what anybody else is getting. I'm just, I'm worried about units, right. I'm so, I'm mm. to sell units. And for anybody who's interested in, in trying to actually make money using Amazon, 
you sh- this is how I'm doing it. And this is just just giving you an idea. Y'all listen I, up. <laughs> okay, so I just I okay, listen. I um, purchased my own books, my author's copies. This is not revolutionary. This is what people do. But I purchased my author's copies for about three dollars and fifty cents, and then I sell my books at twenty dollars. Mm. So you know, I just had an event in Cincinnati. And I, I took a couple hundred books. We sold about half of them, right? I came home with a couple thousand bucks. Yeah. And I didn't ask them to go to Amazon and buy it at retail at eighteen sixty. That seven, not including tax and shipping. I bought it and then I sold it myself. And mm. that's how authors make their money on their books. It's why you see them selling their books at their tables at their when they're talking because they paid nothing for their book and they're selling it for four times. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because people do wonder, like, how do you make money? Are you only making like $2 off of every book? No. The author's copy is very cheap. And uh, and it's your author's copy. So you do whatever you want with it. Give it away. Use it as that business card. Or go get a speaking gig and say, you know, well, in this case, I got paid. But you could say, in lieu of getting paid, just let me sell my books. And there's your you know, a couple of thousand dollars speaking fee right there. Okay. See, I just learned something new. I never knew that. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. There you go. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Okay. Um. So let's talk about uh Black Wall Street Homecoming. I think that's pretty cool. I, um, you're the co-founder. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um. Back in 2015, I was working at a Google for Entrepreneur Tech Hub. I was their director of um, partnerships and new business development. And so I was pretty connected to Google and some of the other folks out in Silicon Valley because we were trying to get money to, to, to support this tech hub. And while we were there, we had an entrepreneur in residence who um, was through code 2040, which helps black entrepreneurs pursue their dreams um, and get, and have access to capital. And so that person who was the entrepreneur in residence, his name is Talib Graves Manns. And I um, decided that we were going to um, invite angel investors and venture capitalists into Durham, yes. North Carolina for the very first time because they had never been invited to come to do a thing just for them before. First of all, there was only a handful of black angel investors in the country back in 2015. Yeah. And so we invited them to come to Durham and we had a pitch competition and we had some speaking engagements and we had a house party and all that. And at the end, um, when it was over and they all went home, they were like, yo, that was dope. We should do it again. And uh, Talib and I were like, uh, okay. Like, and we did, it was just an idea. So what we ended up doing was um, making it a nonprofit, uh, creating a 501c3 so that we could get sponsorship dollars and grant money to help create something that was like three and four days long and had a significant budget and speakers attached to it. And that's how Black Wall Street Homecoming was created. And I have two other co-founders, um, D. McDougal, D. McDougal um, and uh, Rose, who came in to support us. So we have four. There are actually four co-founders to Black okay. Wall Street Homecoming. Shout out to them. Yeah. That's dope. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, w- the name of it, like, w- where did, you know, how did you guys come up with the name? And um, also, like, what inspired the the whole movement? Yeah, the name the name is real simple. Black Wall Street in Durham is a lot of people think about Tulsa, Oklahoma yeah. for Black Wall Street. Um, but 
but also Durham was the uh, financial epicenter for a black wealth at the turn wow. of the eight, you know, the century, not this yeah. one, but the one before. So early 1900s, um, there were more black millionaires in Durham, North Carolina than anywhere else in the country. Whoa, and, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's, it has a rich history. You see a lot of the legacy that is still here, the buildings, the banks, the life insurance companies that the Haytai district, um, you know, it's still here. You know, yeah. it's not a myth. If you walk the streets, you can see it. North Carolina Central University was at the hub of that. And so um, here's where it all comes together. So Black Wall Street is very dear to our hearts. Everybody here, we just, it's, it's a tradition and a legacy that we wanted to carry on. And then we wanted to do it during NCCU's homecoming. So mm, we called okay. it Black Wall Street homecoming so that when the NCCU alumni were in town, they could participate. They could see some of the new startup, innovative startup companies yeah, and um, get reconnected to their city and to their alma mater in a new way. It isn't an NCCU product. It just happened that we landed it on that weekend because there were homecoming activities happening. And at the first, like I said, that first year, we didn't really have a budget. So that's how it came to be. And it stuck. Yeah. Oh, man. That's so mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, shout out to Black Wall Street Homecoming. Thank that's you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. So, Jess, I know you are a podcaster. Um, can you talk about your podcast a little bit for people that don't know? <clears throat> yeah, my podcast is called Reinvention Road Trip. And it is a... Um, podcast designed for women who are, you know, hype. I use this word, I get worried now. I used to use this word really like without thinking, but now I hesitate. I yeah. talk about high performing women, right? But I, I worry about that because it, it feels like you that's something that you should aspire to. I, I think high performing women are the ones that are burnt out right now and are like just trying to like find an island and you know do nothing. Yeah. But um but the the podcast was designed for high performing women who are caught up in webs of ambition, trying to do the next right thing, right? Trying to to grow their business and or um climb that corporate ladder and then also potentially raise a family or they um, have a side hustle or, you know, just these women who have dreams and are driven. And so what we do is we do two things. Sometimes I do a solo podcast where I'm talking about topics like performance culture, imposter syndrome, burnout. Other times I'll bring in women from across the country who are, you know, pretty, pretty well known, significant, have significant roles, oftentimes CEOs or founders of startups or companies. And I ask them questions that are beyond just you know, how did you get there or whatever? It's more about like, let's, let's get into it. Like, let's yeah. talk about it. What's hard for you, right? What are you losing sleep over? Um, what do you wish you had known? That kind of stuff. Like, give us the story so that women who are aspiring to be that or are on the edge and not just not sure if they can do it, you know, see a model. And so I, that's, that's what we do. Reinvention Road Trip is really about what's next and helping people feel like it's just right around the corner. Mm, okay that's awesome so guys um you heard the name of that podcast definitely go check it out um just my last question to you um is how can people get into contact with you whether it be through social media or email yeah social media it's my my first and last name so you can find me at jess averhart and jess is just with one s so j-e-s-a-v-e-r-h-a-r-t and you can find me there on instagram twitter LinkedIn. 
And then my website is just Averhart.com. And from that website, you can, you know, stumble across our other website, which is reinventionroadtrip.com, which is where all of our programs and our products live. Um, so if you just go to Just Averhart anything, you'll find me. And I look forward to meeting folks. I would love to connect with any of your listeners um, if any of this resonated. So. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. Uh, Jess, would you mind uh, leaving us with a message? Sure. Um, yeah, happy to. You know, one of the things that I uh, I will often end my my talks with when I get a chance to talk to audiences is um, something that Jimmy Iovine said in a documentary on HBO. Don't get me to lie because I can't remember the title, but never forget what he said. He said, you know, he was up against a lot and, and there were times when he suffered from imposter syndrome, like just reminding himself that he was, he was good enough to be in spaces. And yeah. he said something offhanded in this documentary and it was, the room is better because I'm in it. Mm. The room is always better when you're in it. And I leave my audiences with that. And I say that to myself as a mantra, anytime I'm facing something new that feels like a little bit over my head territory that I've never seen before, but has the potential to unlock something in me or in my business that could take it to the next level force multiply. And I remind myself like, this is that moment, Jess, you know, the room, this zoom call, this, this time with you, right. This podcast is better because I'm here and my lived experience matters. And I would just share that with your listeners that that applies to them as well. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. You. Well, Jess, thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate you guys for reaching out. Adrian, this is great. I I enjoyed this a great deal. Thank you for, you know, including me in this and and uh and, and inviting me to share my story. No problem. Thank you. All right. Well, all right, guys, there you have it. That's the end of the episode. Again, I'm your host, Adrian Evans. I had Jess Averhart. Guys, check her out. She's an author, speaker, podcaster. Check out her stuff. Contact her. And guys, I hope you were able to get something from this episode. I hope you took some notes um, and I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And guys, that's the end of the episode and we're going to get out of here. Peace. Are you an influencer, creative, freelancer or service based business owner looking for a better way to manage your payments and expenses? Look no further than pay it. With PayIt, you can easily send and receive payments, create invoices, and track your expenses all in one place. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple payment platforms and tracking expenses manually. And the benefits don't stop there. By using PayIt, you're supporting a Black-owned business and helping to create more opportunities for underrepresented entrepreneurs in the tech industry. So why wait? Sign up for PayIt today and start simplifying your payment and expense management while supporting a great cause. Click on the affiliate link in the show notes to get started. Attention Black Wolf Media Podcast listeners. Do you guys see any ways that we can improve our show? If so, we would love to hear from you. By filling out our quick survey, you'll give us valuable feedback on what you guys like and what you want to hear more of. Plus, your responses will help us grow our audience so we can attract bigger and better guests. It only takes a few minutes to make a big impact. So head over to our survey and fill it out. 
Thank you for your support. All right, guys, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for sticking around. If you guys really enjoyed this show, please leave a five-star review and share this with a friend, family member, or coworker. And if you guys have any suggestions as far as what to talk about on the show and who review, please email us at blackwolfmedia18 at gmail.com. Again, our email is blackwolfmedia18 at gmail.com. Thank you, guys. Until next time.